Tired of ads interrupting your favorite show? Good news. Ad-free listening on Amazon Music is included with your Prime membership. Just head to amazon.com slash ad-free fitness to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Enjoy thousands of ACAST shows ad-free for Prime subscribers. Some shows may have ads. This is the Secret Library Podcast, and I am somewhat shocked to share that this is now season seven. While I was pondering the theme for this season, it felt difficult to narrow in on one thing that would be most useful to us in this moment, which has been so full of confusion, upheaval, turmoil, and stress. But then it came to me that writing is like this too. And after we get started, after we've been working on a project for a while, there is a point where we're uncertain and where we don't know what to do next. It's a point many of us call the murky middle. And it suddenly felt like exactly the right thing to talk about with an illustrious lineup of authors this season, both new debut writers as well as household names, in fact. My guest this week is Thomas Kearney, the author of Thumbs Up, A Hitchhiking Irishman and 25,000 Kilometers from Patagonia to the Arctic. Thomas is an English as a foreign language teacher and recovering travel addict from Belfast, Ireland. After roaming the planet for various years on bicycles, boats, and in the back of trucks, he has settled down in Berlin, where he lives with his partner. When he's not scribbling about his travels or contemplating quitting his job to hit the road once more, he likes to learn languages, read books, and struggle to touch his toes while attempting yoga. So great fun to speak with Thomas, who wrote a memoir about a very long trip from Patagonia all the way to the Arctic. And this struck me as the perfect metaphor for the murky middle. Whenever we're on a trip, and I can't say that I've gone quite as far as Thomas did in this book, there is a point where we think, oh, am I going to make it? Because not only did he travel this far, he did it hitchhiking. So there were a lot of challenges to face. And not only did he have the, the challenges to face on the trip, but also in translating that experience into a book. So what a joy to speak to a fellow Berliner, a fellow English teacher, and fellow writer in this episode. I'm delighted to introduce you to Thomas Kearney. Hi, Thomas. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Hi, Caroline. Thanks for having me. I'm excited because we have a built-in metaphor for this season in the content of your book, Thumbs Up, because you took a trip which went from the Northern to the Southern Hemisphere. And this was a huge adventure, physically moving through this, the experience, and then ended up writing a book about it. So we can easily compare these two experiences. I'm wondering, because based on what you said in the book, you didn't intend to write a book about this when you first took this trip, correct? Correct. I had never written before. Uh, I had 
really no intention of writing anything at all. But after, after the trip was over and I had a, a year or two to digest and process what had happened, um, I started telling everyone I knew all of the stories from the trip. And after pretty much torturing my, my partner with uh, thousands of stories uh, <laughs> multiple times, she told me to shut up and write a book and get all of my thoughts down <laughs> on paper rather than uh, talk crap in her ear like I was doing. <laughs> she, that's a good, yeah. yeah, shut up and write a book. I think yeah. that's a good... Uh-huh. Give my head some peace, Thomas. <laughs> Tell someone else your stories. Because <laughs> you even say in the book at one point, you make fun of the idea. Because you were like, oh, what am I going to write a bloody book about this or something? Yeah. Uh-huh. So I am very interested about the shift from that because you have so much detail in here. And you're younger than me. So your memory is probably a lot better, but I'm interested in how you managed to capture all this detail and transfer it into writing about it. And how, how did that process go for you? Yeah, I made everything up. It's all lies. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I, I had a diary with me, like a, like a travel, mm, travel diary that I kept with me the whole time. And at the end of, well, not every day, some days, I was uh, very disciplined and wrote down my, ex- my experiences and some quotes and um, some, some of my kind of deepest thoughts in my diary at night. Sometimes I went a week or 10 days maybe without writing anything and then uh, had a few hours of peace and, and wrote everything down. But that was really just for myself. I was just writing down my thoughts, keeping my diary for just to, to reread after the trip. And I didn't really think of myself as a writer. Um, if you see my diary, it's, it definitely doesn't look like a writer's diary. It's pretty much just scribbles and notes and barely legible handwriting um, with the odd, you know, coffee stain or tea stain or just dirty fingerprint stains. <laughs> um, so that's not a writer's diary? I'm sorry. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. I'm like, just, what What does a writer's diary look like? I just imagine someone writing really beautiful prose <laughs> in the evening by candlelight, or as I was kind of scribbling random words and uh, random quotes, not even in lines, just all over the page. And uh, I just thought, God, this is no one will ever want to read this. This is really a complete mess. Uh, but yeah, a few years later, uh, my girlfriend told me to write a book. Other people were telling me to write a book and I'm a big reader myself and I love reading about adventures, especially travel memoirs. And I read a few books on, uh, adventures from Argentina to Alaska, but there was one by a guy who cycled it, another by... Uh, some people who drove it in a, like a camper van, sort of converted camper van minibus. But I didn't find anything on people who had hitchhiked it. So I thought, God, you know, these books are good. And they don't have half of the experiences that, that I have. And 
uh, I think this whole hitchhiking thing could be a completely different perspective. So why not? Maybe I do have what it takes. But I was full of doubt the whole, the whole time. Throughout the writing process, throughout the hitchhiking process, throughout my life, I'm <laughs> just plagued <laughs> by, by doubt. <laughs> um, but I think we all are, aren't we? I hope so. I hope I'm not the only It's crazy. not just you. I can tell okay. you from, yeah. I have yet to talk to anybody who isn't right. plagued by doubt, a memoir of the world, I think could be easily <laughs> written. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So how did you keep going though? So this is the mm. interesting point because- we have these things that happen to us all the time, right. whether they're writing or otherwise. I mean, I think when you go on a trip and you're plagued by doubt in the middle, you kind of have the option to like abort and go back, but mm -hmm. you're kind of stuck there. I mean, you're, you were in that trip and at certain points it was kind of like, okay, I could maybe buy a ticket or of some kind, but I'm right. kind of here. But when you're writing a book, a lot of people have the sense of like, oh, maybe this isn't going the way I thought. Maybe I'm not mm. as good at this as I thought. Maybe it's not going as well. How did you continue at the points when you were plagued by doubt? Yeah. So I, I sort of predicted how much doubt I would have, how much fear <laughs> I would feel. So... Do you have like a meter? Do you have like a doubt-o-meter? <laughs> yeah, an internal one. Yeah. Um, and I thought, oh yeah, in a few months, this is going to be it like level red, red alert, red alert, red alert. So I, my, my plan was to, to tell everyone very early on about what I wanted to do so that when the doubt kicked in, I, my, uh, my fear of letting everyone down and being a fool, having to admit defeat would be greater than the, the doubt I felt. So before flying to Argentina, I told all my friends, all my family, all the people I worked with that I, Thomas Kearney, would hitchhike from the bottom of South America to the tip of North America, from as far uh, south as I could get to as far north as I could get. And I told everyone I, I wouldn't return until I'd achieved that, that goal. And then I did the same thing with the book. I told everyone, I am writing a book about this trip. and. Um, it's happening and you're all going to have to endure it. You're going to have to read it. <laughs> you're going to have to read it when it's ready and you're going to have to endure my, my madness and obsession uh, while, I, while I'm writing it. So that worked out well for me, the sort of um, the pressure I put on myself in the beginning. I think that was a, a good way to go. So of. threatening yourself with humiliation was very exactly. effective. Yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. Which took longer? Writing the book or hitchhiking from the southern tip to the northern tip of the Americas? Right. So the hitchhiking trip from going from the bottom of South America to the top of North America took me about nine and a half months. And then I went for another two and a half months through Alaska. So pretty much as far west as I could go. And then from there to Newfoundland. So as far east as I could go. So I was hitchhiking for a year in total. And when it came to the book, uh, that became a, an even bigger task. And I had no idea when starting it, how long it would take. If I, if I had known how long it would take, I wouldn't have done it. I really wouldn't have. So I think the writing process took about a little over a year, 
maybe a year and a month, a year and two months, and then getting published and you're working with a publisher, working with an editor, a designer, getting maps in there um, and just getting it over the finish line. That took another, probably another six or seven months. Mm. Yeah. Um, and when I started the whole thing, well, just before starting it, I phoned up a friend from Ireland who had written an ebook on um, traveling around Ireland. And I asked him how long it took. And he said, oh, you, you can, from start to finish, from putting pen to paper to getting the book out there published, about three and a half months. What? So I thought, wow, only three and a half months? That's fantastic. Excellent. So I'm going to get started. And about three and a half months into the process, I had written about Argentina and a part of Chile. So the, <laughs> I was on to the second country in a 16-country hitchhiking trip. And I thought, I'm going to kill Stevie Hawkey. His name's Stephen uh, Hawkey. And if I, the next time I see him, I, I think I'll strangle him. Okay. A little bit, just a little well, bit. Well, we're of, all behind you. Uh, Everyone yeah. listening is behind you too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Stephen Hawkey, you told us lies. Yeah. Three and a half months? How I, long are his books? I think his book's quite short. It's got to be. <laughs> I never read it, so <laughs> <laughs> I should have looked. I, I just you should have looked up. at the, like, how many pages is this thing? Yeah, like 30, I guess. I'm not even sure. Oh, my God. I really don't know. I think uh, he's got a lot of, I think he's actually got, a, I mean, I know he's got a, a Facebook page, an Instagram account, and, um, and a website called Ireland Before You Die. It's actually a pretty good, good website. So I think he'd actually written a lot of things and posted them online beforehand. So when it came to him writing his book, it was more or less a copy and paste job. So uh, he didn't tell me that at the time. Um, yep. Yeah, but maybe it was good. You know, he sort of <laughs> gave me the false hope that I could um, complete the whole project in a number of months, which obviously was very naive. But Inger I think we Inger need that though. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean... <clears throat> I think, so you went from thinking on the trip, oh, what am I some person who's just going to write a book to yeah. being someone who has written a book. So how do you feel, how did writing the book change your experience of having been on the trip? Did you look at the experience or yourself as a result differently having done that? Ooh, um, yeah, well, when I, when I wrote in my diary, God, what? what am I going to do with this experience? Write a bloody book. Yeah. Because I was, I was having this, I was a little bit disillusioned. I'd saved up money and quit jobs and jetted off to Argentina totally alone. I couldn't speak Spanish. I, yeah, I think there's a common thread here that I never know what I'm, what I'm getting myself into, <laughs> but uh, I was in Patagonia, I think. Uh -huh. And I was just lonely and I felt, weird and I was thinking god what the hell am I doing what is this whole thing about I'd, I sort of steamrolled towards this adventure I talked about it got my hopes up saved up money quit my job went over there and then once I was there in windy Patagonia with no one around the wind sort of whistling like Shh, in my ears I thought am I a total prat I mean what why am I doing this? And I just had this, this <laughs> moment in the beginning, like, 
now that once I finally had a, a bit of peace and quiet, the whole thing just seemed stupid. Um, and I thought, God, I, do I just have a big ego? Am I just on a big ego trip right now? I, I, I'm just like, you know, rum drinking, um, book reading, crazy Irish adventurer, hitchhiking across the world. And I kind of had this moment of thinking, maybe no one cares. Maybe I'm just being really stupid. Maybe I should just grow up, get a job, be happy like everyone else and uh, not follow the road less traveled. Uh, and that's when I sort of uh, shit on all of my plans. And <laughs> <laughs> but I got over that. Um, and after the, after the trip, I... I looked back and realized how incredible the whole experience really was and how unique it was. And I do think it's worth a read. I think it's, I've got lots of stories in there that are worth sharing. And I, I gave myself more credit after the fact. Um, it seems like we always do though. Yeah. I mean, this also, the way that you're, the, the way you're describing this experience and having read this part of the story where you're in there going, what am I doing? Yeah. It's so similar to the feeling that I've experienced and that I've seen many of my students experience the same like zeal and excitement. Like I'm going to go do this is what people get when they decide they're going to write a book. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's like you're, I'm going to be different. I'm going to write a story. Yeah. I got to do this, like your desire to go and travel, which I'm also really familiar with, mm -hmm. but there is this sort of honeymoon or, or excitement, or this is going to change everything feeling like giant dopamine hit mm -hmm. you get by this project. And then you get there and you're in the process of writing the thing or on the trip, depending, but I, I think here, the, the trip, writing a book does function like a trip. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of you may be too young for this one, but I will, I will link to this in the show notes. I can't resist referencing this. There was a absolutely brilliant Saturday Night Live sketch with Adam Sandler and he was running a travel agency and it was a, a travel agency called Romano Tours. I have watched this recently because somebody reminded me of it. And he's, he's talking about these trips. And he's like, I will, we will take you because it's Italian, their tours to Italy. Mm -hmm. And, but mostly for people from New Jersey, as he says, and he said, we can take you to Italy, but you're still going to be the same person in Italy that you were in New York. So yeah. he has this website that's like same sad you, but I think this is the same thing is like, we have these moments yeah. in life and we think I'm going to change everything about myself. I'm going to be a completely yeah. different person, like a rum drinking, motorcycle riding, mm -hmm. whatever it is, or I'm going to be a fancy author, like the fancy authors I think about if I do this. And then we get into the experience and we're like, oh my God, it's still me. Mm -hmm. It's still me doing this. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you're sitting there um, and it's the end of a, a long, hard day of hitchhiking <laughs> and you just feel lonely and kind of sad and depressed. You think, God, did Jack Kerouac feel like that? Surely his mind was always full of big ideas and he was loving life and he was brave and heroic. You're sitting there going, God, I'm not, I'm not heroic. I can't be the, the star of this, of this movie or this book. God, I just have really mundane, mediocre thoughts right now. And I just expected it to be, wow, big, poof. Um, 
and then you tell yourself that you're maybe not that person when actually you are and all your famous all your favorite authors or actors or all the people you look up to are normal people as well and most of the time have very normal thoughts and um as you said everyone's full of doubt you know don't put other people on a pedestal <laughs> they're just like you and you're just like them really and I kind of lost the, the thread of my own thought there. Where was I, where was I going? <laughs> I think it's, I think it's true though. But I think what you're saying is, mm-hmm. is what I'm thinking as well, is that we think that everyone who has done this has somehow gotten access to this secret club or has the yeah. way of thinking or the way of being already figured out. Mm-hmm. And that they somehow have a way of doing this or a way of understanding it that we have missed right. when that's not true at all mm-hmm. in my experience. Yeah. Everybody's just human right. and they, some of them write about it and some of them yeah. don't. And even those who write about it and do it well, well, their first draft was probably terrible. <laughs> their second draft was probably mediocre, <laughs> but they're able to, to keep going back, to rewrite, to refine, to sort of trim the edges and uh, make a masterpiece out of it. So you, you can make magic out of the mundane <laughs> or you can make mm. something magic seem very mundane, right? You just have to um, have that determination and stick at the project and um, have patience and, and don't give up. Yeah. Right. So you wrote the book. So you had the journal, which is mm-hmm. great to have as a reference and then you wrote a draft in a year so how many drafts happened in that year uh three i I only had three drafts the first draft was a complete mess i wrote a hundred and at least 120,000 words 130,000 words wow ridiculous yeah and i'm kind of embarrassed to admit it especially being an english teacher and saying this but I don't know if the first draft had a paragraph. It was just one big block <laughs> of madness. I don't think Proust had paragraphs either and nobody gives right. him a hard time about it. So <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the first draft was, was crazy. Uh, and I really, enjoy, I really enjoyed writing the first draft. And I thought, God, this is magic. Oh, yes, this is amazing. And then afterwards, I looked at it and thought, what on earth have I done? And what am I going to do with this massive block of, of nonsense? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, then I got to the mucky middle, as you'd say. And, mm. and the second draft was much more difficult because then I, I had it all there, but I had to, to figure out some sort of structure and um, yeah, just to figure out how to structure it chapters paragraphs what am i going to keep what am i going to throw away and this whole idea of throwing parts away was really difficult because i thought oh but i wrote this sentence (laughs) it's mine i don't want to throw it away (laughs) uh so it was hard to to let go Mm. and yeah i'd say once i was about halfway into the second draft i got really frustrated with the project and the the lovely dopamine rush had disappeared and I was just on a come down and I thought, Oh no, I'm halfway up the mountain and I can't be arsed <laughs> to keep going. Yeah. Um, but I just, yeah, I 
Corona, the pandemic actually really helped because I was teaching a little bit online, working weekends in a bar in Hackershamarkt in Berlin, which I hated. Oof, that and sounds rough. It was horrible. Because nobody's happy during the pandemic. They're just in there. They're like taking a risk to be out in public during the pandemic. And so they're like hardcore, like, okay, I got to go to the bar. I'm having a rough time. Right, right. Sorry. So I was actually working in the bar just until the, the first lockdown oh. came. And then it got oh, shut down. Oh, and then it got shut down. Okay. And everyone was sad. Apart from me, I was like, yay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm employed. Woohoo. So uh, that's when I really um, found like, a renewed uh, drive to, to push on with the book. Because uh, then I had nothing else to do really apart from write and a little bit of teaching online. So uh, yeah, I kept going, and then I found the the third draft to be exciting because I was nearly there, but kind of scary then because suddenly lots of lots more doubt returned, and I thought I don't want to actually share this with anyone. Like, I think it's, I think, I think it's, I think it's good. I think it's okay, but I can't let anyone else read this. They're going to judge me. What if no one likes it? What if I put it out there and I just get, you know, 50 one-star reviews? God, what am I going to do then? I've told everyone yeah. that I'm writing this book. <laughs> Why did I tell these people? Um, maybe I can just disappear, run off to Mexico and go live in a, a forest somewhere and never have to confront anyone. And I found it really difficult then to, to come to terms with, other, with putting yourself out there and having other people read this, the stuff that I'd been writing in silence <laughs> over the last year. So who read it first? Um, oh, who read it first? I think... I, I got my, around the same time, I got my brother to read it, my partner, and, and the editor. <laughs> so all three wrote it around the same time. And uh, my brother loved it. My partner loved it. And I thought, wow, you're just lying to me. But Oh, that's then, a classic. That's right, so classic. Like, yeah. oh yeah, you're, you're just being nice. You, yeah. don't, you, you don't have the real opinion. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't know. You don't. You, you can't judge this. You don't know if it's good or bad. <laughs> and my We're so like, quick well, to like write yeah. off the people who compliment our work. It's hilarious. Yeah. If anyone gives you negative feedback, you think about You're like, it. Like, oh, that's really serious. Yeah, okay. Oh my god. Yeah. What if he's right? What if she's right? I have to think about that now for the next week or two. And have sleepless nights. But if someone says something really nice, I'm it's like, oh, okay. Thanks. Yeah. It disappears. Oof. Why? Yeah, you like, you must not like know what you're talking about. Yeah. I think it's. I mean, I think it's evolution. Like, mm -hmm. you know, the things that are bad could kill us. The things that are nice, like, okay, great. But like yeah. poisonous things, like that's a real risk. Like uh, we're just like hardwired to, to overvalue mm. things that, that we consider dangerous. Right. Doubt but, and fear is there for a reason to keep you safe. Yeah. But Healthy. this is the whole problem with the, the internalized critic is that we treat somebody's feedback to our writing with the same degree of of urgency as like is this thing i'm about to eat made out of poison or not right which is like yeah. 
you know, different levels of concern for our Mm -hmm. physical safety. So I have to think about it whenever I have these kinds of reactions as like a faulty smoke detector. Right. This one might hurt my feelings, but it's not going to kill me. No. Yeah. Exactly. It's not worth sleepless nights. I know. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, they happen anyway. Yeah. And so by this point, you had the editor. So by the time you were letting other people see it, you were already you had already found a publisher. Yeah. So I don't have much patience in life. And, uh, <laughs> That's not always a bad thing, I got to yeah. say. It's not, not good for hitchhiking. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. I could see where that yeah. would be a problem. You're like, come on. People are like, yeah. I don't want to pick you up, man. You right. scary. <laughs> yeah. That guy is mad. Yeah. Standing in the desert, sweaty, with your sandals on and your disgusting feet out. You haven't washed for days. Oh, and, God. Uh, you see a car come over the horizon. You go, oh, okay, right, gotta get ready. Five minutes later, the car whistles past you. This one person looks you in the oh. eyes, looks around and shrugs, shrugs his shoulders and says, oh, sorry, I, I don't have any room, which he obviously does have. Yeah, like, oh, no, it's not going to work. Yeah. yeah. And, then, and then my fake kind of cheesy smile. Like, like, oh, well. I, I'm, not a, I'm not a killer. Yeah. Which is to, you wanker. I'm in yeah. the bloody desert. I could die here. I've been waiting for two or three hours. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's not great for, for hitchhiking across the Americas. You should definitely be more Zen than me. Yeah. Uh But it got you a publisher quickly. Right. Yeah. I, uh, didn't have enough patience to wait for a traditional publisher. Mm. Right. So I, I threw it out there. I got, I, I. I had a few back and forths with, with one or two publishers. And the thing about traditional publishing is that it's a business, right? So yeah. uh, I there's one publisher in Chicago that got back to me and we talked for a while. And she said, yeah, like we, we like your writing, blah, blah, blah. But um, can you prove to us that you can sell this? Like what's your Instagram account like? And I said, I don't uh-huh. have Instagram, Twitter, don't have it. How many followers do you have on, or how, how many friends do you have on Facebook? Uh, I don't know, 800, 900. Oh, no, no, no. Like, this is not what we want to hear. Like, we want you to have a big following. 12 million followers. Right? Yeah. And that happened twice. And I thought, okay, this is going to be really difficult to do. So I, uh, I got in contact with smaller publishers in, in Ireland. And... Um, I, I just thought, no, this has to happen sooner rather than later. I, <laughs> I don't have the patience. And I ended up publishing through a, a small publisher called Orla Kelly Publishing in Cork in Ireland. I know. I was like, that is an Irish yeah. publisher name. Oh, yeah. If oh. ever I have heard one. Orla Kelly from County Cork. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and ah, you've got family from Cork, don't you? Our neighbors growing up were from Cork. Oh, neighbors, that was it, right. Yeah. I knew there was a Cork connection. Yeah, the Donahue, I mean, it's possible. I have family way back from from Cork, definitely from Ireland somewhere. But yeah, yeah, we had our our next door neighbors growing up were from Cork. Yeah. Uh, And I really loved Orna Kelly and uh, everything was very personal and she was very easy to work with and um, had a great relationship there. But uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was definitely not 
um, informed enough before writing the book about how difficult it is to get your book traditionally published. Like if you don't have a, a good name or if you don't have, you know, a blog or I think it's very rare that you can get your book published traditionally, at least your first book. I don't know if you've, I guess, guess you've had lots of people on the show and maybe other people have managed to do this. It really depends. I mean, it's kind of a, it's a luck thing, I think. Right. And it also, it depends on the book. It depends on the timing. It depends mm-hmm. on the topic. It depends on so many things. Right. But, and then also I think that publishing has changed so much now. Mm-hmm. So then we're also looking at, you know, is that the way I want to go? Because some right. people prefer to go completely independent or mm-hmm. some people prefer the experience of a small publisher because it is, as you say, a lot more personal and you get a lot more attention. Yeah. Um, traditional publishing, they're so huge that if you're not kind of one of the ones that they're banking on that season, you might get a lot less attention than you would get with a smaller publisher. So it really, mm-hmm. I think it depends on what people are seeing and what people want Yeah, in the end. Right. But how here it is. People can wait and how many rejections people can stand to take. Yeah. <laughs> I know that's a whole other murky middle is being in this oh. sort of middle of the submission process. Right. But so you were writing this in 2020 and now here we are 2022 and the book is here. Mm-hmm. When did the book come out? What was the the ultimate? Was it 2021? Yeah. Uh, yeah. This time last year, pretty much July, yeah. 2021. Started July, 2021. Um, got it out there and um, did a few radio interviews, newspaper interviews, one or two podcasts in Ireland, uh, things like that, a few uh, Irish websites. Um, and for the first few months, everything was very good. And then life got really hectic, <laughs> working lots. And uh, my partner's nine months pregnant. We're expecting a little boy in two Ooh, months. Yeah. So exciting. <laughs> So uh, over the last few months, I haven't really done that much uh, promotion, which is, it's interesting when you publish it yourself, if you don't promote the book, if you don't keep promoting the book, God, the sales go right down. (laughs) You've really got to keep it going. It's a lot of work. So not only was the hitchhiking trip massive, then the writing trip, the writing process is huge. Then the publishing process is another massive obstacle and then you think it's all done and it's not <laughs> you have to keep promoting your book day yeah. in day out and it just seems like a, a never-ending project but uh it's all worth it of course I don't have any regrets yeah what would you tell yourself like other than your one friend is lying about it taking three and a half months but if you could go mm-hmm. back and tell yourself <laughs> something about how this experience was going to unfold or something that you think would help you when you were stuck in that middle, murky middle part, what would you most have been happy to hear? Um, ooh, See, I, don't, I don't think I would have listened to anyone, <laughs> but I would definitely say something like- Even yourself? Not yourself? Even myself? Stepping no, yeah. out of a time machine saying, <laughs> you must know this. You'd be like, no, you don't know what you're talking about. Oh yeah. I'm doubting Thomas from the- from the freaking Bible. I doubt everything. I just, well, you've ah. got the right name for it. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I just think I was schizophrenic and I'd say, I don't believe, I don't believe what you're saying to me, Thomas, you're a liar. You're, you're not, you're, you're not me from the future. 
and then we'll probably have a fist fight or something. But okay. uh, yeah, but yeah, I just try to say you, you have to be ready for the long haul, and you just need to focus on the process. Don't focus on the result. Don't get ahead of yourself. One step at a time. I mean, even listen to myself right now. I know I would not ever listen to this, but I know it's what you're supposed to do, right? Just focus on the process and the results, they come. And if you, if you think too much about them, they'll only paralyze you and make your writing more stinted and less natural. You just got to let go and flow. And um, you need to be doing it for the right reasons, of course, as well. If you're writing, writing a book to become famous, you shouldn't write a book. If you're writing a book to get rich, you shouldn't write a book. You should do it because you, you love writing or because you really think um, it, it's worth the effort. You really think your book is worth the effort. So I think you need to be prepared to spend a long time writing, a long time getting it out there and for 10 people to read your book. And if you're happy with that, then, then, then you're ready, I think. Keep your expectations low and hope for the best, but prepare for the worst. And I think that's just kind of the best way to, to go about it. Yeah. You know? Do you think you'll write another one? I think I've got another one in me. Yeah. But I'm not allowed to write another one at the minute. <laughs> You've been, it's forbidden. <laughs> It's forbidden. <laughs> does this have to do with the date of a new arrival or is it just sort of timing and, and your own rules about not doing it now? So even before we knew about the little monster on the way, my, my, uh, my girlfriend said, no, you're not allowed to do another one because you just get too obsessed, Thomas. So uh, when I was writing the third draft and then in contact with the publisher, I would get up in the, in the middle of the night and just like scribble notes. I'd just like go in, turn on, the, turn on, turn on a lamp and then just like write little notes, come up with new ideas and, uh, you know, go back and want to, to change things in the book. Or I came up with, you know, new titles for chapters and things like this. So I, I really got obsessed during the last few months and, and my girlfriend would come back from work and I'll be in the living room surrounded by <laughs> lots of papers. Um, I should say, okay, uh, I'll give you 10 minutes and then I'll, I'll talk to you. Okay. Yeah. Just give me 10 minutes. Two hours later, she'd yeah. be preparing dinner and I'd still be like rereading the same paragraph over and over again, thinking, Hmm, there's something not right about this paragraph. <laughs> should I move the comma here? Should I put it over here? Oh God. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and then, I would hear, okay, dinner's ready. Dinner's on the table. And I'd say, yeah, just two minutes. Oh no. And then dinner would be cold. And I would go in and say, I'm sorry. Sorry. I, I was just, uh, just got carried away. This comma. Uh, yeah. I would be at the comma. I didn't know where to put the comma. Yeah. She, she'd sit there with her arms crossed, you know, with her plate empty and my plate filled with cold food. And she'd say, no, Thomas, this is, this is the 10th time in the last two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> You're friggin' nuts. You're not allowed to write another book. And I promised her, okay, after this is over, I promise I won't do another one. So, and now you're like, no, no, maybe I'll do another one, but <laughs> gotta keep putting the DL because she, I think she's sitting next door. 
I but, won't tell uh, her. I'll, I'll wait a few years. I'll just release a podcast episode where you say right. that. But you, yeah, you don't yeah. have to tell her that this is happening. Yeah. And I'll say, Caroline, she, she, she lied on the podcast. I don't know what she did there. She changed my voice and I swear <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> I'm not writing another book. Is it another nonfiction book? Another nonfiction book. Yeah. 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 So that was a pretty big um, adventure I had there and like hitchhiking from Argentina to Alaska. But there are a few others that uh, I, at least another, one other big trip um, around the world that I did actually with my partner. Mm. So I think that could be a nice sequel. <laughs> but I'll wait Maybe a few she years wants for that. to participate. I mean, she could say, no, this is what really happened in that moment. That could be kind of fun as well. You oh, could have God. like he said, she said, but yeah. Uh huh. You're like, I'm oh. not letting that happen. <laughs> yeah, I'm not letting that happen. <laughs> I know that sounds very dangerous. But I think sounds also dangerous. the reason I asked about fiction versus nonfiction is there are so many characters you encountered in this book. Right. And I could easily see taking some of these characters and like spinning them off into something mm-hmm. with fiction as oh, well. Yeah. Because you've seen so many on you go on a long trip. One of the things I love about travel is that I see all these people. I'm like, what do they do every day? Mm-hmm. what is that person doing? And then I just imagine right. a whole life and then it's like, okay, well, what if they did this? And they went over there and then yeah. you just, then you're just in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm probably just giving you more fodder now. Oh God. <laughs> maybe, got, maybe another two books. <laughs> you're like, it's up to two. <clears throat> we should have a meter going on the side of the episode. People come on. I'm yeah. like, how many books are you going to write now? They're like one, no two, yeah. no two. Yeah. Oh God, three, three. Okay, a library. I'm going to write five, a library of books. Five. Yeah, we're up to five. Yeah. But I mean, yes. I think, you know, you'll probably be able to manage the whole thing with the comma and the paragraph better now that you have the experience that you've had. Right. The first time is the most horrific. <laughs> and now, and now I'm, a, I'm a seasoned vet. Yeah, you're going to be fine. It's just like you've done long trips and then you're like, okay, I know how this is going to go. And then it's yeah. different. Yeah. And then you go on another one and you're just as crazy as the first one. And you think, God. I used to be so good at this, <laughs> but yeah, you never Well, were. that's what happens with the other book. I mean, I hate to tell you, but like when you get into another one, it's like you have this experience of like, okay, great. I know how this works now. And then you go into another book and you're like, yeah, but the story and everything I'm talking about is completely different. So all yeah. of that stuff that I learned, it kind of helps. Mm. But I mean, I know that I like this kind of pen and I like, you know, sitting in this chair while I'm doing this, but this is also a completely different problem and a completely different puzzle that I'm having. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But do you think you would like it so much if it was easy? No, then we then you wouldn't have a podcast. Then you wouldn't have right. We nothing to talk about because it's just everyone would do it. If it was easy, everyone would, would do it, and it wouldn't be a special thing to write a book, you know. So there's there's value in the struggle. I think so, and I think the reason so, that we write books is because we actually secretly enjoy the suffering in the middle. Because if we yeah. didn't, we would just write articles or blogs or short stories we wouldn't write whole books if we didn't like this murky thing that happens in the middle yeah well i mean i thought the whole thing was going to take three and a half months (laughs) (laughs) which is the most (laughs) insane thing i've ever heard yeah stupidity i think it's just blind optimism honestly Mm -hmm. like i applaud your your optimism on that one maybe if you like straight dictated it you could have gotten a draft done but yeah that's really that's like i'm not sleeping there's a lot of speed involved maybe and just constant typing Mm -hmm. maybe well now i'm i'm on the cusp of 30 
and I am getting older, more mature. Oh wiser. my lord! <laughs> but when I was in my early twenties, when I started traveling, and when I, I think when I went to Argentina, I was about twenty-two. When I turned twenty-three on the trip, I was full of blind optimism as well. I mean, I had lots of doubt and I was afraid and things like that. But I just, I had this idea that I had this faith in the universe. That it will work out. And everyone was telling me, oh, you're going to get robbed. You're going to get killed. This is going to happen. This won't work. You're going to, you know, die of starvation and thirst in the, in the desert. And I just thought, nah, it'll work out. People will pick me up. It'll, I'll just figure it out as I go along. And uh, yeah, that got me through my 20s. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> got me through the book, got me through all of those crazy trips. If I really thought about them, I, I wouldn't do them. You know, if I really knew the risks, I probably wouldn't have uh, started. So there's a, uh, it's good to be young and naive and full of fire and uh, <laughs> just dive into projects without really knowing what you're doing. And I think we can take that. I mean, I think sometimes we need that. Right. to come back to it. I mean, this is, this is what I love about a new project too, was, is that I like that feeling of like, Oh, who cares? I mean, I'm mm. trying a completely different genre at the moment and I'm loving that change because mm -hmm. I'm like, Oh, this will be completely different. It's not going to have, I mean, I know it's going to have challenges, but it's just the idea of like, I can just leap into this and it'll be fine. Right. Um, and and I like that, the, yeah. the blind optimism experience yeah. once in a while. I think we all need that. And the thing that happens is like, we think that the middle, that middle part is going to take away or negates the blind optimism. But I think we can have both at the same time. Yeah. And you only want dreamers and optimists to write books, you know, <laughs> They're the type of people who, who write good books, you know, people who have hope and uh, vision and have something to, to give humanity. You know, if you were just a, a pessimist who didn't really think that there was any hope, you wouldn't even start writing the book. And that's good because we don't want to hear from those guys, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, some of them sneak through, but I do mm, think that at yeah. the moment in particular, yeah. just taking a chance and saying what you need to say is worth it. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. This has been such a fun conversation. And anyone who needs some travel adventure, and if you're not able to travel at the moment, I, I can highly recommend this book as a way to travel virtually if you can't travel actually. Tired of ads interrupting your favorite show? Good news. Ad-free listening on Amazon Music is included with your Prime membership. Just head to amazon.com slash ad-free fitness to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Enjoy thousands of ACAST shows ad-free for Prime subscribers. Some shows may have ads.